Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. On a snowy night in February 1972, the 33-year-old jazz trumpet star Lee Morgan was shot dead by his common-law wife, Helen, during a gig at a club in New York City. The, the murder sent shockwaves to the jazz community, and the memory of the event still haunts the people who knew the Morgans. Over 20 years later, a chance encounter led to Helen giving a remarkable interview, kind of an audio testimony that acts as a refrain throughout this film, this wonderful film called I Called Him Morgan. The film was shot. The DP on this was Bradford Young, an Academy-nominated uh, uh, director of uh, photography. But the film is directed wonderfully by our guest today, Casper Collin. We we're honored to have him join us today here on Film School. Casper, welcome to Film School. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know this for a fact, but it almost feels like how you came into possession of this this interview that Helen gave would probably mm-hmm. make a pretty cool little short doc onto itself. I mean, it, it sort of, it, it's it's a remarkable sort of uh, convergence of circumstances. But uh, so, uh, so we know that from the film, but tell us a little bit about how you became a part of uh, and interested in making a film about Lee Morgan, the jazz trumpeter. Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I made another film before called My Name is Albert Eiler, which was also about a, an American jazz musician in the, the 60s, in the early 70s, mainly taking place in, in New York, but a few parts of it also in Sweden. So it took me seven years to make that film. And, and after that, I was quite sure I would not make another film uh, taking place in the same era and about American jazz or an American jazz musician. So uh, I, 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 you know, developed other projects. And this was in 2005, this film was finished, and then it opened in US and UK in 2007, 2008, and was well-received. And after that, I was quite sure I was going to do other projects for a while, and I did. <laughs> but But I think it's now seven or maybe almost eight years ago since, you know, I'm, I'm a really huge music lover and also have a background as a musician myself. So music is very important in my life. But I I was just watching YouTube and uh, suddenly there was a clip there with uh, Art Blakey and the Yes Messengers performing in uh, Tokyo in a TV studio in Japan in 1961. And they played the tune called That There. It's the piano player Bobby Timmons tune. And Lee Morgan was in that group. And it's his solo in that performance, uh, I never, never heard anyone play trumpet like that before. And that was the tone and, and the phrasing, and the, that was just stunning to me. Uh, and, and, you know, I was so moved about this. And this is what happens with music sometimes. You just have to listen to it on repeat for a while. And I think for almost a week, I, I, I had to listen to this YouTube clip on repeat, <laughs> and, and Lee's solo there, and then I realized that I had missed him. You know, I, I haven't really listened so much to him before, but this made me very, very interesting in him and his music, and I found other great music, like Search for New Land and so on. And somewhere there, the idea of, I mean, in my head, the, the question, is there maybe a film here 
that came, you know, and, and yeah, I didn't know by then, but, but, but I was curious. And what you do then is, is that you really try to, you know, do a very basic research. You see how many people are still alive. Is there any archive material, you know, just very, very broad research. Like, like and, and, and then I realized there was a lot of people still alive. And, uh, Quite soon, I, 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 you know, I started to reach out to them, and uh, mm. well, a lot of them started to talk because that that is what leads me to this cassette, which is quite interesting. Is that those people that I talked to, uh, that was close to Lee, they started to talk about the relationship he had had, and they started to talk about the last four years in his life, and he had a relationship with a woman named Helen, and that they talked about this woman in a very lovingly and positively way and how how wonderful she was really and also how she had saved lee from uh, an um, addiction heroin addiction that i and, and brought him back you know and they thought he would almost die from this addiction but she came in and, and saved him and then i realized this is actually the same woman that that killed lee morgan so i had no no no, no idea about this and th- this is how i really got drawn in from my passion for this music I suddenly were in the middle of this almost Shakespearean or, or Greek tragedy. And, and also here in that research part, I realized that there is an interview made with Helen. Mm. Uh, and I was Googling uh, and I found this guy, Larry Rennie Thomas. He was, had been a, a teacher uh, and, and, and also a jazz radio host down in North Carolina. Wilmington, and he he found Helen in the late eighties because she was uh, well, she was a student of him. Yeah, well, it sounds like it was by accident. He didn't find her necessarily. He realized who she was. Is that a better, mm-hmm. fair way to put it? Like he, when when she approached him and she, he 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 knew who who Lee Morgan was. Yeah, yeah. Now, just real before we get any further into this, because this is a fascinating part of the story, but. Did you already? You sounds like you al- already knew the story of Lee Morgan and his demise when when you started looking into when you saw him on the on the on the uh, Japanese TV or the YouTube of the Japanese uh, show. Is that right? Did you know how he had met his end when you were watching that uh, YouTube video? Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean what I know. Okay. No, what I know. I mean, what I know there is that I know the basics that I think that most. Music lovers do, you know. I, I mean, didn't know this, and I'm a I'm a jazz person. I mean, not okay. as heavily it sounds like as as you are, but I I love jazz, and I I, I but I mm-hmm. I'd never heard of Lee Morgan. I got to confess to you, I I wasn't aware of him at all, and ah. and then and yeah, I'm I, this is a big blo- black hole in my in my you know my appreciation of jazz, and then I didn't obviously wouldn't have known that he how he died, but. So no. you you had all that kind of background in your head. I just want to make that clear to to people listening. No. To that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so no, no, I, yeah. No, not really. I mean, because what I had was, I mean, I had a very basic yeah. conception of, of Lee Morgan, and that was the basic fact, you know, that he was this child prodigy, uh, wonder kid that that as a teenager played with all the greats and, and was yeah. signed to Blue Note Records, eighteen years old. You know, yeah. that was I know, and then I know about Sidewinder, his big hit, and then I know that he was shot by a woman when he was young. But I did not know anything about who was this person that killed him because there was no information about that gotcha. until I found this this interview and also when I met those people that started to talk about that that this was the same woman that actually saved him first from an addiction. You know, yeah, it, it was very intriguing. 
Yeah, and and again, I'm I'm going to profess my ignorance of his life and his career again, but I I from the film and it, it it's just such a beautiful film to look at. I got to say to 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 you and to our listeners, uh, it's it, you do such a wonderful job of capturing that sort of ambiance, that vibe that uh, of the music, and when we listen to the music and the footage that you have of his performances are electric. I have to tell you, I'm with you when I heard at the very beginning of the film, the first thing we hear of him, I it blew me away. I have to say that. I don't use that term lightly. It, it's just a, such clarity in the sound, an amazing sort of uh, grasp of the music, and within it, it felt like he really inhabited the music in ways that were truly moving to watch and listen to. So... Uh, I I can appreciate what you were appreciating when when you uh, when you saw this performance and uh, from the Japanese television show. Um, so when you got to the point where so you've you've got in touch with Larry uh, and you know and so you he sounds like he was very cooperative. He wanted to tell this story as well. Right, a little bit about him and 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 how he came into the story. Yeah, as I said, I found his blog on the internet and. Uh led me to, you know, contact him because you could read parts of a transcription of this interview he had made on this cassette tape. And uh, first he sent me this transcription and then he sent me a CD of, of, of the full interview. And, you know, listening to this interview, it was not just the fantastic story that Helen was telling about her life, uh, you know, and, and, and it was the how she told that story and, and the sound of her voice that was also so amazing you know the story she's telling you know that she's yeah. having two kids when she's 13 and then the second one is 14 i mean two kids up until she's 14 years old you know and then she's abandoned the kids and 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 know that she don't want to you know she was growing up outside wilmington uh quite poorly you know and she know that she, she did not want to stay there so she, she ended up in in new york and kind of created her a totally new life and then ended up being Lee Morgan's manager suddenly. Yeah. And that that's quite a quite a remarkable story in itself. And then of course this very, very uh, sad thing that happens when she Kills Lee, you know. Well, let, let, let's let's talk about kind of the the era. Let's talk about Lee and his impact. Um, recognized right away, and uh, for people who aren't as familiar with jazz, uh, Dizzy Gillespie of this of this particular area era, I should say, fifties sixties era is considered even going further back. Talk about Dizzy Gillespie and the impact he had on uh, on Lee's career. You're asking me to talk about Dizzy? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean. That's one of the amazing things, you know. Lee Morgan is sixteen, seventeen. I think he's eighteen then when 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 he's discovered by 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 Dizzy Gillespie and uh, is asked to to play trumpet in his orchestra <laughs> together with with Dizzy. And uh, that is his first really professional gig, you know. So he's touring with the Dizzy Gillespie Orchestra uh, in in nineteen sixty six. Uh, and that that's quite remarkable. And from there, I mean, he's gotten signed from from by Blue Notes right. directly. I think. Right. And, and to give a sort of a, a another sort of historic reference, uh, Dizzy Gillespie is widely regarded as one of the most influential uh, trumpeters of his time. Uh, and and Miles, a lot of people attribute Miles Davis' sound and his early sort of uh, beginnings uh, as a as a jazz musician. 
uh, with his affiliation with D Dizzy Gillespie, and he has had an impact on so many people. So he recognizes talent. He's a man who's known for that and bringing them into his bands. Uh, Correct. Yeah, and amazing stuff. And um, another person who a lot of people will know, whether jazz fans or not, Wayne Shorter was also a part of this sort of uh, this pack of people, pack, this group of people that uh, got to know Lee. Tell me, you know, for people who don't know, a little bit about their story, uh, Wayne Shorter and, and Lee Morgan as well. Yeah, I mean... Lee Morgan, after Dizzy Gillespie, as I said, he was signed for Blood Records, and then he was discovered also by, by Art Blakey. Uh, so yeah. he joined Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. And uh, after this, also Wayne Shorter soon joined the, the Jazz Messengers, which was one of the most popular hard group, hard group groups at this time. Yeah. Uh, and Lee and Wayne became very close friends. I know this. I know that they were close and I know that it was very important to have Wayne as part of this film and I must say that it took me four years almost four years before he finally said yes to participate uh, in doing an interview about Lee he has never ever been talking about his time with Lee before and uh, it, it's it's been rare with Lee with Wayne talking about the 60s actually mm -hmm. so I was very very happy when he finally said yes uh, to participate in this film and uh, I can say that we actually were trying to to make this film for a while without Wayne but when we had him it was very special I felt because he is talking about Lee in a very unforced way mm -hmm. uh, like an artist on the same level as himself it's very generous of him I mean you can just feel that his view on Lee is someone that is on the same level as himself, mm -hmm. if you see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can also feel the, the, the very tight friendship those two yeah. youngsters had once, you know. But he also followed, you know, Lee through... I mean, they had the artistic friendship and as colleagues and as friends, but he also followed Lee down in this his addiction, which is also, of course, a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the the depths of that uh, that addiction we, I want to get into, but I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Casper Collin, and he is the director of the film I Called Him Morgan. It is such a wonderful documentary, such an amazing story uh, uh, about a remarkable um, musician whose life was cut short uh, and who had a pro profound impact on the people who he was playing with and who he got to know. Because putting aside the addiction, we oftentimes villainize and vilify the people who are addicted. He seemed to be um, a, a, a man who was a good friend uh, to people around him. I mean, he had his, certainly everyone has their own particular issues about whatever it is, but he seemed, uh, at, at least in terms of music, everyone who played with him seemed to have had the same impression that he was a man of immense talent and confident and and in, in the film, we talk, they talk about him as someone who was confident, who had a there was sort of a persona to him uh, in his playing. Is that is that a fair statement? A, a confident man, especially young in his yeah. career. Yeah. No, I mean he was uh, uh, he would be described as almost being cocky. Oh, do you say that? Yeah. Okay. Yes, you can. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, as a youngster, and 
and, and you know th that was part of, of him he knew that he was good you know yeah as a youngster but i mean that it it's also developed to to i mean as he matured he made other music because he, the music that i came to really appreciate i mean because there is a difference in the music he makes from the first records, which is very alive and young and <laughs> wonderful. I mean, the records he made in the, in the 50s. And then the, the records he makes uh, from like mid-60s or, or like from 64 and mm -hmm. forward, it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, and like Search for the New Land and so on. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, he was also a guy that very... <laughs> humorous guy that because that was something that happened was when i discovered the enormous amount of still pictures that blown out records had yes with with him and uh that's uh, if, if we're talking about the cassette tape and helen's voice mm -hmm. uh partly narrating this film then we uh, another remarkable material documentary material document material in this film is, is the still photographs and uh mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think I found at the Blow Note Records and that archive is held by Mosaic Records today. Uh, I think I found was the 169 contact sheets wow. uh, from from sessions that Lee made between 1966 up to 1967. And those are all black and white, and then after it's color slides. But I know, I mean, that 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 Lee was one of the most recorded artists on Blow Note Records, which was like the major jazz record company in a way mm -hmm. at this time um, and but this meant that all the sessions he made and there are so many they were covered in uh, by, by one of the founders of Blue Note there were two founders two German guys Arthur Lyon and Francis Wolf and Francis Wolf was this fantastic photographer and he took all those photographs so I think it was almost like 16 or 1700 yeah. individual stills you know beautiful <laughs> that, stuff. That, so so in there there where i really had a chance to follow lee from him as a teenager 18 years old in 1956 and 10 years forward you could follow him very closely through i mean see his development but also you could see in those contact sheets uh found those remarkable small narratives that we tried to keep in the film because we could see there that Lee in the studio was a guy that made a lot of jokes and funny things that made the other guys around him laugh, you know, all the times. Mm -hmm. uh, he spread a lot of warmth and joy around him all the times, it seems, from those still photographs. Yeah. yeah. But it was also something else in those photographs that was amazing because you could really see the communion among those musicians yeah. making those records and kind of a brotherhood and also kind of almost like a spiritual level. But it was also what I said, this feeling of joy. Yeah. But then we can also see, because we, we follow Lee for a long period, those tragic parts happening in his life. Yeah. Suddenly he, he appears with a, bandaged head and so on you know it's like right. we have you have every all of that in front of us suddenly me and my editor and I, I remember me and my editor we were editing in her apartment <laughs> in stockholm mm -hmm. and we were kind of you know i had an assistant making a lot of enlargements of those pictures and we were crawling around on her living room floor 
and just just trying to get a feeling of how to use this material in the film and then we found those like stories within this story mm. like small narratives of just still pictures that was very important for me to use them almost uncommented just use them mm -hmm. to the music in certain passages in the film and that's a remarkable material thank you yeah it is and i i think we i've given i haven't given proper due to as lee was becoming more and more involved in heroin and his and obviously his career starting to unravel and and helen how important and critical it was uh, to him and to his career when she came along and literally pulled him I think almost literally out of the gutter, literally off the streets, and certainly gave him an opportunity to find himself again and how important she was and how little it seemed that she actually asked of him in return uh, for her. I, I, And you can speak to this better than I can. What, what, what was it that Helen was getting from Lee? We know what Lee was getting from her, at least from a musical standpoint, his career standpoint. But what was Helen getting, and what did you determine in your sort of study of this? What was Helen getting for, uh, from the relationship she, she had with uh, with Lee? I I don't think work in that way that I determine things like that. I I I I can see what happened, mm -hmm. uh, and through the material I have, I mean, because this was something that was very fascinating to me. You know, this is in 1960. Late 1967, when Lee is really down and out, and Helen Lee uh, and and kind of falls in love with him uh, and starting to to help him back, you know, mm -hmm. uh, slowly and and nurse him back, gives him clothes, uh, somewhere to live, you know, food, and Lee actually has suddenly a second act. <laughs> in the late 60s and makes new fantastic music like the record he makes here in LA live at the lighthouse you know mm -hmm. uh, but for me with Helen because we also need to go back to this fantastic cassette tape recording that Larry made yeah uh, and you know when I working with projects like this you know uh, that you, for me I'm trying to make a film that I myself want to see, you know, mm -hmm. one way when you're working with it. Because, uh, and, and for me, being very interested in, in the music and have a big passion for, for this music, uh, to be able to see this world a little bit, at least in the film, from, from Helen's perspective, that gave me uh, a more nuanced and complex view on this world and how this music, under what circumstances this music was made that I love so much. Uh, that, that was a fantastic thing for me, just to be able to try to tell parts of this story from her perspective. Yeah. Well, I, but by the way, we're speaking with Casper uh, Collin, and he is the director of the film I Called Him Morgan, a uh, film uh, that you can go to the website for that called ICalledHimMorgan.com to find out more about the film and the screenings. And You, you said you're a musician. What, what instrument do you play? I, I cannot say that I'm an active musician anymore, but I did play quite a lot uh, as a young, for, for like 15 years ago. Uh, up until 15 years ago, I played saxophone mainly. Mm -hmm. 
And was it jazz primarily that you played? Yeah, yeah. I'm mainly coming from more like an experimental rock. Uh, okay. uh, context, but but yeah. more like an experimental rock context. But then into like more like free jazz. Yeah. Uh, and there some jazz, but mainly yeah. rock. Yeah. Well, what as a musician, as someone who's played and has understanding of music, what is it about the what is it about jazz? And is there a specific sort of era of jazz that you're most attracted, more attracted to, or you find more interesting? What is it about jazz that you that you because you've done now two films uh, in that realm? What do you find so fascinating about that particular kind of music genre? Wow, I mean, it's 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 just on a personal level that it, this is something that gets me going in a way. Uh, but it, it's it's two two different films I made, mm -hmm. uh, even if they are both about taking place in in jazz. Uh, Albert's more considered as a free jazz musician, uh, and Lee was more like this hard bop trumpet player. But I mean. What I'm saying is that the first time I, I really fall in, fell in love with him was this incredible solo in this mm -hmm. performance. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's hard to speak of. It's just very, he, he's like in the, I would say, in, in, in a gr line of great storytellers in jazz. Yeah. And and you will hear it when you hear it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I I'm just what I trying to get to because I, I I mean I'm someone who does appreciate and love jazz myself. I'm a huge Miles Davis fan, and I I'm just trying to get to sort of a basic why we're so fascinated by it because for me, it's a it's a it's a, a kind of music that is generally their structure to to the the you know to jazz tunes music, but at the same time there's this incredible opportunity to create. And often create spontaneously, that makes for me makes it such a humanizing kind of musical form in ways that other kinds of music are not necessarily to my ear. And I'm just trying to because I'm I'm just curious about sort of the attraction that you feel towards jazz. Um, but for me, it's this within this very structured kind of music. It can also be very spontaneous. Um, is is that a fair assessment of jazz in your opinion? Oh, that works. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's very much uh, living music. I yeah, would say. yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds alive. It sounds it sounds as if it was created by by some. In, you know, I don't know the interaction. There's so so much about it that is so fascinating, and I, I find myself kind of curious uh, as to why other people find. The music so uh, so fascinating um, as well. Well, I don't know what else to say exactly to say again what a wonderful film this is and what a wonderful job you did of telling a specific story. Speaking of specific structure, you told a very uh, a very specific story about Lee and Helen and their life and the tragedy that ensued. But you've also given us a remarkable document on jazz itself. There's so much here to appreciate about the musician, uh, musical quality, the musicianship. And um, there's there's a lot here in this wonderful film I called him Morgan. Um, congratulations. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I mean, for me, this is really, 
a love letter to both Lee and and Helen yeah. Uh, yeah. and and this fantastic music that that brought them together and uh, I <laughs> it's important for me to to you know tribute all the people that really made this music possible and that includes people like Helen as well you know yeah, yeah. unfortunately she she was also the person that that killed me and that was something that I would say that in the starting to work with this uh, I realized that a lot of those kind of die-hard Morgan fans out there they tended to hate Helen mm -hmm. because she took their hero away mm. you know and I can understand that in a way I can relate to that but that is something you do when you don't have enough knowledge yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so to me so to me as I said at the beginning I when I started to talk to those people that were really close to both of them I understand this was much more complex than this that there actually was a love story going on and that she had helped him back uh, and that made it very, very fascinating to me and then I realized that this woman was only defined as the killer of Lee Morgan mm -hmm. and uh, I felt it was I mean, she deserved also to be known for helping him back, you know, so he could make this fantastic music he actually made in his kind of second act. Right. Well, you you have her her uh, son and in the film and her daughter. I can't. Remember, is it also you had Not, no, just no, the son. son. Yeah, yeah, you had the son. Has the reaction have you heard from her family as to their reaction to the film? Which kind of curious. Yeah, sure. No, I mean they they No, they they see in the film the son was at the the premiere uh, uh I mean the film premiered in Venice and then played Telluride and then yeah. Toronto and then was at the New York Film Festival in uh, in October. So then a lot of the people in the film came there and watched the film and also the son of Helen and uh, yeah. now they they were very they were very happy about this this film, I must say, and also the the people that were were around them. But because you you need to understand that the people that were close to Lee, they were also close to Helen mm -hmm. because they were always together. Yeah. So that that night when Helen shot Lee, they didn't just lose Lee. I mean, they, they lost like, they lost two friends, you know, that yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, so it's a terrible trauma at all, you know. Yeah, I, I should identify the son as Al Harrison, and I, I, I know that she also had a daughter, and I, she's not in the film, but um, uh, no, she, she had two, two sons. Two sons. Oh, I'm sorry. Why did I think that? I, I apologize. And she had two sons. I'm sorry. Um, yes. So, yeah, I can't imagine they wouldn't feel that uh, you know to sort of write history. Uh, in, in its full text here as to what the relationship was and the circumstances that surround this tragic end to their to their to Lee's life um yeah and also and she's now passed away and again makes it all the more remarkable this interview was recorded I'd finished just a month before her own passing so it could have uh, easily passed without ever anyone knowing anything about this and thanks to Larry Rennie Thomas for uh for being there and also knowing enough and asking her to sit down for this interview. It's uh, all of it is just such a remarkable kind of enterprise yeah. in so many levels. And, uh, and thank you for me for, uh, for allowing me an opportunity to find out more about Lee Morgan and, uh, and give me a, 
give me a chance to catch up with him in his career uh, as well. So uh, thank you so much, Casper, for uh, for coming on Film School and for this film. Uh, really appreciate it. And next time, I hope uh, whatever that project might be, that you will find time to come back and join us again. I hope so, too. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. The film is I Called Him Morgan. The director is Casper Collin. Go to Cas uh, you can go to icalledhimmorgan.com to find out more about the film. And... Um, and enjoy, enjoy it. It's rolling out across the country. It's in New York and Los Angeles and Sweden, and we'll be playing. So check it out from I call him, called him Morgan com. Find out where you can find a, a, a theater to see this in. And uh, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.